Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. That's exactly how I feel when I read this passage from Hebrews. It's really good to see that you're so excited to, to delve into the Word of God tonight. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Josh. I'm the clergy leader down at Holy Trinity Ball Lane. Uh, and we are building a midweek ministry to love and serve people working in the heart of Leeds. Uh, so if you want to know more about that, uh, come and talk to me. I don't know about you, but I've really loved digging into uh, these really meaty passages that we find in the book of Hebrews. It feels like there's a real excitement in the room to study and to pay attention to what God is revealing to us in Scripture. And so we're going to continue doing that this evening. Uh, we're going to look at this wonderful passage about sacrifice and about Jesus, who is a better sacrifice, a better promise for all of us here. So shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you for all that you have done for us, for all that you are doing in our lives, and for all that you will do. Would you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit this evening, that we may hear your voice clearly. Amen. So I fear that I'm going to begin by aging myself a little here. But um, does anybody know what this is? We should have a picture on the screen of something. I'm hoping that there's a broad consensus that we know what this is. Uh, but I have to say, uh, just, just for this intro, I'm going to have to apologize. I'm going to be overtly millennial for a good couple of minutes. Just, I just need to let it out of my system. Uh, but if you don't know what these were, these were the height of Naughty's Christian youth group fashion. <laughs> no one in their right mind would have turned up to youth night with a bare wrist, <laughs> at least when I was a young boy. Uh, and they became incredibly popular, not just in the church, but outside of the church. I remember distinctly the, remem- the, the, uh, the moment when I spotted the TV presenter, Dermot O'Leary, presenting the Big Brother spin-off show, and he was wearing a WWJD wristband. I'm telling you that MSN Messenger that night blew up. (laughs) Now, if if you don't understand any of those references, uh, then there are plenty of millennials in the room, so uh, just write down WWJD, MSN Messenger, Big Brother, and it will all be explained to you at some later point. So the idea of these uh, simple wristbands that uh, young people would wear, and, and some young people still wear them today, is that you, f- you, f- you go something like this. You find yourself in a compromising position. You're at a party, and somebody asks you, do you want another shot of tequila? Or you're a 14-year-old, and you're trying to decide, should I sneak into this 15-rated film? And suddenly you look down at your wrist, and you ask yourself, Would Jesus have another shot of tequila? Would Jesus sneak into this 15-rated film? And then the answer is obvious, of course. Now, I may be mocking for comic effect here, 
but I do think the idea behind this wristband is a good one. We do need to be reminded each day that Jesus is interested in every facet of our lives. It's easy to become people who come here with hands raised high and then walk out into life. And Jesus has nothing to do with anything else. But it's true that Jesus is interested in what we drink. It's true that Jesus is interested in what we do, in where we work. Jesus is interested in our study, is interested in what we do for a day job. As we heard from Richard last week, the God that we worship in Jesus Christ is not a far-off deity, but is the God that came near, became like us, who sympathizes with us in our weakness. So ultimately, I think WWJD is a nice idea, but I think it's the wrong question. The underlying theology behind this wristband is that Jesus has finished doing. That Jesus did stuff in the past that we can learn from, that we can read about, and that we can try and reflect on. But that's all we have left of Jesus, is something that he did, and trying to extrapolate from that for what we should do today. But we know, don't we, if we we have been paying attention in reading the book of Hebrews, that Jesus has not stopped doing. Jesus has not stopped acting today. The ministry of Jesus is not contained to the past. In fact, as we heard last week in Richard's great talk, uh, go and have a listen if you haven't or if you weren't here last week. It says in Hebrews 7 that Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is still praying for you. Jesus is still praying for your course mates, for your housemates, for your family members. Jesus' ministry has not stopped. Jesus is praying for us. We heard in our reading uh, this evening that was excellently read, uh, the the applause indicated so, uh, that Jesus is still doing something else. Jesus continues to serve. This is chapter 8, verse 2. Jesus serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord. Jesus still continues to serve in that place of God's presence and blessing. So I think we should stop asking, what would Jesus do? Or what did Jesus do? And we should start asking, what is Jesus doing? As we were reminded of last week, when we talk about the work of Jesus... We do not stop with the incarnation, with his coming to earth. We do not stop with his dying on the cross for sin, his being raised to new life. We are reminded that God, that Jesus ascended to God's right hand to continue this work of drawing all people to himself and making all things new. So this evening we're going to think about two questions which will help us to unpack this a bit more fully. And the first one we're going to think about is, why did Jesus ascend to God's right hand? I think the clue, the answer to this question we can find in our Bible reading this evening. And part of the answer has to do with how the author of Hebrews thinks of Jesus as a sacrifice. And not just a sacrifice like the ones that we see in the Old Covenant but one that goes beyond, 
So we'll unpack that in a bit more detail shortly. And then we'll ask the question to close, what is Jesus still doing today? What is the ministry of Jesus today? So, why did Jesus ascend to heaven? The author of Hebrews tells us that unlike, we have this, he, he paints a picture of the old relationship that God had with his people before Jesus. And he uses this phrase, which you, we'll become familiar with as we read through the book of Hebrews, that Jesus is better, Jesus is superior, Jesus goes beyond what was there in the past. And specifically, the author of the Hebrews tells us in chapter 8, that the new, this new uh, covenant, this new promise between God and his people is established on better promises. We also read in this passage that the old covenant was built on a system of priests. These are people that would enter into God's presence on behalf of God's people and offer sacrifices in the temple. And Jesus, we're told in this passage, provides a picture of a better priest, a better sacrifice, and a better temple. But I would suggest that all of these concepts priesthood, temple, sacrifice. These are things that we probably don't understand instinctively today. They're things that are not part of our cultural language in the way that they would have been to the, the first readers of this text. And so we need to do a bit of digging, a bit of unpacking to figure out just what it is that the author is telling us about sacrifice and covenant. Have you ever had that moment when you are trying to invite a friend to church and they're interested in faith and they say to you, Josh, I've started reading the Bible. And you say, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. What have you been reading? And then they give you the worst possible answer, the book of Leviticus. <laughs> and you inwardly groan and you think you could have literally started anywhere else in the Bible. But I'm not sure this person is ever going to come back to church if they keep reading this stuff. Now, I love the book of Leviticus. I think there's so much in there for us to unpack. But it's not easygoing. It's not a good bedtime read, I would suggest. In the book of Leviticus, we see uh, the law, the law for God's people, unpacked um, and, and, given a lot of, and given the detail that God's people needed to follow it. It tells us in minute detail the ways in which God's people transgress the laws that he has set. It tells us about impurity, the ways in which human beings need to uh, offer sacrifices. There are blow-by-blow accounts of which animals to sacrifice at which times and for which transgressions. I would suggest this isn't a Bible book for beginners. But it is a book, and these concepts that we find in Leviticus can help us to understand what's going on in Hebrews. Now, the primary problem that sacrifice is supposed to address, I would suggest, is human sin. It's a narrative that we see throughout the pages of Scripture. We, we prayed this evening in our confession. We acknowledge that we have not lived the way that we were made to live. We have not lived in perfect relationship with God, with one another, and with our world. And the narrative of scripture that we see repeatedly is that people turn back to God. They try and restore this broken relationship and they try and find a solution to their sin. 
And sacrifices meant to mend that, precisely that broken relationship, the sinfulness of humanity to be restored into right relationship with God. And so we're told that God's people uh, were asked to bring various kinds of animals to be killed. They would be taken into the temple, the place where God's presence would dwell, and then a priest would take them as an offering to God. Now I think probably when we think about sacrifices and temples, because we don't inhabit this cultural world, I think instinctively we think sacrifice goes something like this. Human beings are bad, they do bad things, and they need to be punished. But instead of punishing the people that do these bad things, God punishes animals instead so that he will stop being so angry at human beings. Now there is some truth in that idea, but it doesn't give us the full picture of what's going on when we think about sacrifice. And we struggle to make sense of passages like this one in the book of Hebrews, if this is what we think is going on primarily in sacrifice. Let me give you another picture that I think is a really helpful way of thinking about sacrifice. So I have three young children. Uh, They are five, three, and one, which is why I always look so tired. And anyone who's spent any time around children, especially children under the age of five, will know that they're not very good at being nice to each other, especially siblings. Now, I don't think a day goes by in our house when somebody doesn't make somebody else cry, and it's usually me. Just, just kidding. So, so what happens if Judah, my five-year-old, steals his sister's Lego? She's been working on this beautiful Lego model all day. What happens if he snatches it and breaks it? Well, the first thing he needs to do is to say sorry. Any, it's kind of parenting 101 is we need to help our children to say sorry and to forgive one another. And this is important. It's important that he shows remorse for the thing that he has done. But it doesn't completely solve the, solution, the problem either, does it? Because we still have a three-year-old with a broken Lego model in tears. He needs to make amends for what he has done. There's a question that I find myself asking on a daily basis is this. How do you think you might make amends to your sister? And the answer sometimes goes something like this if things are going well. Perhaps I could make her another Lego model. That's a great idea. We've got it sorted. We understand what it is to make amends. We say sorry, and we make amends. And we know, don't we, that in this picture of a broken relationship and a restored relationship, that this isn't a one-sided encounter. The apology and the making amends is not just there for my daughter. It's not just there so that she feels better. It also teaches something to Judah, my son. It teaches him what it is to take seriously the weight of his actions. In being confronted by what he has done and seeking to make amends, our hope is that he learns, that he becomes better and he makes better choices next time. And I think this little story is a really good start for helping us to think about what's going on in the Jewish um, concept of sacrifice. Human beings have chosen 
to rebel against God. They have chosen to go their own way, and they've turned their backs on God. They have broken their relationship with God. They have offended God. And so they need to find a way to restore this relationship. And so they say say sorry, as we've done tonight in our confession. They say sorry for the thing that they have done. But just as with uh, the encounter with my children, this doesn't make amends for the wrongdoing that has happened. They need to find a way of restoring the broken relationship. And this is where sacrifice comes in, I think. It's important for us to see, while we we think of animals and sacrificing animals as, as a fairly gruesome and archaic way of relating to God, that we should see that animals are incredibly valuable in the ancient world that uh, the, the sacrificial system comes from. They are a commodity, they are a source of food, but they are also a means of great wealth. Some of the sacrifices described in the book of Leviticus are a bit like having a big family barbecue, where most of the meat we eat, this really valuable meat, we eat together as a family, but we save the best bit for God. The fatty bits of the meat are offered to God uh, as an offering, as a gift to God. But when we need to make an offering for sin, when the relationship has been broken, no one eats the animal. This is not a family barbecue. This is something much more serious. It's costly to sacrifice an animal. It's costly to sacrifice one of the most valuable things you own. It requires you to take seriously the weight of your actions, just as my five-year-old has to take seriously what he has done by remaking the Lego model. And so sacrifice, I would suggest, is about making amends in the Old Covenant. It's about human beings trying to find ways to restore a relationship with God. And our passage in Hebrews focuses specifically on uh, the blood involved in sacrifice. Again, I I did warn you this is not going to be a really nice, happy walk in the park this evening. Uh, So it tells us that in in chapter 9, verse 2, that Jesus did not enter into God's presence by the means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood. And the image of blood in this worldview told us something about the life of the thing that is being sacrificed. This is the, uh, the essence of this creature And so in sacrificing the life of a creature, we understand something about the seriousness of what we've done. The price of our sin and our wrongdoing is death. Our sinfulness will eventually suck the life out of each one of us. Sin costs something. And to make amends, sin must cost something significant. But we're told in our passage that instead of offering the blood of goats and calves, Jesus offers himself for us. Jesus is our sacrifice. It is the blood of Jesus, not the blood of a cow or not the blood of a goat that allows us to make amends with God. And this is where we see that the sacrifice that Jesus offers is a better sacrifice The author of the Hebrews puts it like this. How much more then will the blood of Christ, 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. While God's people would have to, every time they sin, offer a new animal to make amends. We're told that Jesus offers himself so that we can restore this broken relationship with God. Jesus is a better sacrifice. So that's the first part of the discussion of sacrifice that we're going to have tonight. That sacrifice, at least part of what's going on in sacrifice is that we make amends in a broken relationship. And Jesus offers himself on our behalf that when we stand before God, we offer the life and death of Jesus as our sacrifice. Okay, is everybody doing okay? So the second thing I want to say about sacrifice is that sacrifice is not only about death. So if I ask the question, where does, uh, where does Jesus' sacrifice take place? I would guess a straw poll of answers is going to say, on the cross. Am I right? If we've been in the church a long time, we know that Christians love to sing and to talk about the death of Christ. And rightly so, it is central to our faith as Christians that Jesus died for our sins. But what we see here in the book of Hebrews is that this isn't the full picture of how we are to understand Christ's sacrifice. And let's just quickly return to the old covenant, the old relationship for a second. And suppose I have done something wrong, I have broken God's law. I cannot make amends simply by going into a field and killing one of my goats. That is not a sacrifice. The death itself does not provide a sacrifice to God. The Hebrew ritual for sacrifice involves killing, but it involves bringing the animal into God's presence as an offering, into the sanctuary of God as an offering. If we read a little bit earlier in chapter 9, which wasn't read for us this evening, we read in great detail the different areas of the temple and the ways in which priests would, off- would enter into different parts of the temple at different times to offer different sacrifices. The picture goes something like this broadly. The sacrificial animal that has been provided by the person who has sinned is brought into the temple by a priest and its blood would be applied to various parts of the temple, whether that's the curtains or the altar, to provide purification. So sacrifice is not just about the killing of the animal. It is a gift, it is an offering that is brought into God's presence on behalf of God's people. And so now we see the picture of Jesus that we've been reading about at the beginning of chapter 8, that Jesus ascended to God's right hand, the crucified lamb, the one who was slaughtered, the one who was killed, arises to a temple. The author of the Hebrews tells us this is a better temple. This is the temple which all the temples in history have pointed forwards to. This is the presence of God, not made by human hands, but the very presence of God. 
And Jesus enters into this temple, this presence. And what does he offer? He offers a sacrifice. He offers himself. He offers his body. This is, as we've heard, a better sacrifice. This is not the blood of goats and calves, but this is the body of a perfect life. It is the body of God in man. And so Jesus enters into the Holy of Holies and he sprinkles his own blood onto the altar. He purifies the temple. And then he remains there. Jesus is a better sacrifice. Jesus lived a perfect, unblemished life. He is the best gift that we could possibly offer to God to make amends. But not only this, but he does this once and for all. The author of the Hebrews wants us to see that Jesus does not leave. He continues to serve in the heavenly temple. In the old covenant, the priests would have to come into the temple every time sin happened to offer new sacrifices, to try and make amends to God. But Jesus, the better priest, the better sacrifice, remains. We do not have to offer anything new to make amends. It has been done for us, for all time, forever. I think that is incredible. So what should we do about this? The Apostle Paul asks in the book of Romans, after reflecting on the beauty of God's grace in Jesus Christ, should I go on sinning so that God's grace and mercy may abound? And his answer is no. If we really understand the weight of our sin, how much it distorts and breaks our relationship with God. And we see how much it costs. Just like my son realizing just how serious it is to make amends with his sister, he has to make a new Lego model. It's quite hard work. But our sin is serious. It costs something to make amends, but it has been paid for you. So let's finish where we began by asking this question. What is Jesus doing? If someone wants to go and make a new wristband for the youth of today, then uh, just pay me the royalties, okay? As we've heard, the author of of Hebrews tells us that Christ remains at God's right hand where he has offered for us a once and for all sacrifice. He remains there to serve in this heavenly temple and to pray for his people. He he is still praying for us. He assures us that his sacrifice has been paid. Sometimes I know that my spiritual life often looks very much like running away from God. I don't know if you relate to this. The more I sin, the more I feel the weight of my sin and how much I need God. 
And eventually, the more I think about this, the more I just cannot bring myself to pray. Because I know how far away I am from God. After a while, I might keep coming along to, to church. But, but there's a bit of a distance here. I, I check out. I sing songs about God's forgiveness and grace and mercy. I don't really know them. I don't really live them. And maybe we, I, I keep trying to make amends by myself. I keep, if I just prayed a bit harder next week, if I just found a pattern of reading scripture, if I just stopped doing this, if I stopped doing that, if I was nicest to this person, then God would finally accept me and my relationship with God would be better. The book of Hebrews tells us we do not need to offer anything new. Jesus has made amends for your sin once and for all. And so instead of running away from God's presence as we continue to sin, we are invited to run faster towards it, to come into it more boldly. A little later in in chapter 10, the author tells us that for by one sacrifice... He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. In Jesus, God has made you perfect and he is making you holy. That is an invitation. That is an invitation to approach God's throne and God's presence with boldness this evening. So that's what I'm going to invite us to do. Rather than running away from our sin, rather than fearing what we might find, I want you to know that you have a high priest who has come into the presence of God and has offered himself for you forever. No matter who you are, no matter what you have done, Jesus looks at you and he says, I know you, I accept you, I love you, I forgive you, and I am praying for you today that you would be made holy. What an amazing gift that is. Thank you for listening to the St George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.